0: So today we'll be reading Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Morning, everyone. Man, it feels so good
1: to have that be the first time I'm telling you good morning instead of like the fifth. If you've been here the past few weeks, I've spent a lot of time up front, and um, it's great to have Les back leading the music today. I'm so glad to see that he's recovering and feeling better, and yes, we're thankful For you, Les. (laughs) Um, And we, the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians together. After today, we're officially going to be halfway through the book. And the first half of the book has just painted a huge picture of God and the work that he's doing in the world. So it's showed us that God chooses to bless us out of his abundance and his generosity, that he has this huge plan that involves the entire universe throughout all of time, and he's invited us to be part of it. And his plan is to unite all things in Jesus. So he's going to take, you know, the natural trajectory, trajectory of things right now, how they break down and disintegrate and fall apart and die. God's plan is to take that process and reverse it so that rather than breaking down and falling apart and dying, things will come back together and strengthen and build and grow and and go deeper in life. That's God's plan for the universe. And he's inviting us to be part of that plan today. That's what we've been seeing in the first half of Ephesians. And that invitation to be part of God's plan, it's especially shocking considering where we come from. Because Paul tells us in the start of chapter two, we were dead. We were enemies of God. In order to get us to a place where we can join him in his plan, God made us alive and gave us incredible spiritual blessings in Christ. He made us part of the church we saw in the second half of chapter two. The past couple of weeks, we've been seeing just how essential the church is to God's plan, that it's not a plan B. It's not sort of secondary importance. The church is right at the center of everything God is doing. His big plan for the universe starts right here. The church, you and me, not not like some service on Sunday morning, but the people, you and me, are the place where broken humanity starts to become restored and united. Right here today. The starting point for God uniting all things in the universe in Jesus is right here with you and me today. And if that feels like that's huge, how are we gonna do this? Well, it is huge. And that's why as Paul gets to today's passage, he's explained all these things about God's plan and our role in it and the, the role of the church. And he now, after explaining all this, starts just praying for the church. Because this, this, plan that God has for the universe, this opportunity to be part of it, it's too big for us to do on our own. If we're going to properly live out this calling that God has given to us, we need help, help from outside ourselves. And so that's what we're going to look at in this prayer today. And what we're going to see is that we can't do life on our own. So we need God's spirit. We can't do life on our own. So we need God's spirit and we'll look at preparing to pray, one request, four results, and the goal. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you that you have a, a, a calling that you give to us, that you call us to, but we thank you that you also equip us for that calling. And so I pray that today as we look at your word, you'd be showing us who you are. You'd be showing us what it looks like for us to be Part of what you're doing, and that you would be equipping us through your Spirit to be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, preparing to pray, Paul starts this passage by saying, For this reason. That means looking back at everything he's said so far about God's plan, about what God has done for us, about the church's role in God's plan. That's the foundation for what's about to come. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father, which means Paul is really serious about this prayer. I don't know if you know this. In Bible times, it was actually quite common for people to stand while they prayed. The only times in the Bible that people kneel down to pray are when they are desperate and the prayer is very serious. But Paul says he's kneeling to pray right here. He is desperate. This isn't just any prayer. This is a serious, desperate prayer. And why is it such a big deal to Paul? the contents of this prayer. Because Paul knows that if God doesn't do the things that he's praying for right here, the church can't operate and be the church that it's meant to be. If God doesn't answer this prayer, the church is going to fall short of the calling that God has for it. And so Paul is begging for God to work, but he's not begging because he believes God's stingy, God's withholding, God's going to keep these blessings and we just need to wring it out of him. No, he actually prays for God to bless them according to the riches of his glory. He knows God is generous. God is a God of abundance. When we come to God, we're not coming to a stingy father who's trying to hold on to every last penny he has and just needs to be convinced that this is really a good investment. No, we're coming to a father who's extravagantly wealthy, who loves to shower his children with abundance. A father, not in the sense that he's male because God doesn't have a gender, but in the sense that he loves us and protects us and provides for us perfectly like a father is supposed to do. And Paul knows that God is loving, that he's caring, that he's generous. And so Paul comes before God boldly and with confidence. We saw that in last week's passage. Boldly and with confidence, but also desperate because God giving these blessings to the church essential if they're going to be the church they're supposed to be. And Paul knows God wants to bless them. So he's coming, he's praying. And and in this prayer, he actually lists several things that he's praying for, but really he's praying for one big thing. and, And what we'll see is if that one big thing happens, all these other things are going to be the result of that. And what is his big request? His big request is that God, the father would send the Holy Spirit, to equip and empower the church to be who they're supposed to be. That God the Father would send the Holy Spirit to equip and empower the church to be the church that they're supposed to be. If you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at the prayer in Ephesians chapter one, and it's basically the same prayer request right here as it was there. We said there, he was praying for God the Father to send the Holy Spirit to the church so they can know God. He's basically continuing and building on that prayer, asking for the same thing, saying, if this happens, all these other incredible things that you guys need are gonna happen too. And this prayer really sets the foundation for the rest of Ephesians. I don't know if you know this, Ephesians basically breaks into two parts. Chapters one, two, three are all about God and the amazing things he's done to bless us and save us and his plan for the universe. And then chapters four, five, six are, okay, if God's done this, here's how we live in response to it. And so this is, this prayer is the transition point where we're moving from a primary focus on what God has done to a focus on what our response for it is. And again, we need the Holy Spirit to come and empower us if we're going to make that transition in our lives. And so In order to help us make that transition paul's praying for this church for us that god's spirit would transform us take these truths that he's just been telling us about god and put them in our hearts so that they now shape the way that we live and paul's prayer here shows us four specific ways that our lives will change four things that will happen in us if god sends his spirit to us and equips us and the first is if God sends his spirit, we will be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power. He, he prays that he would grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Remember, in the Bible, when it talks about the heart, the heart is the control center of our lives. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel, the choices we make, all flows out of the loves and desires of our heart. The heart is the control center of who we are. And the inner being here is set up in parallel to the heart. So probably he's referring in both of these statements to this control center of our being. Paul is praying for these Christians to have inner strength. Strength that comes and flows out of that control center of our lives, the place where we feel our emotions and make our decisions. He wants us to be strong there. I mean, how do we typically respond when we face situations in life that are just too big for us? We get anxious. We get stressed. We maybe become afraid. We might get angry. might get irritated. And Paul is praying that instead of these responses— When we face situations in life that are too big for us, we would instead feel love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. He wants us to have inner strength. And on one level, this is something everyone in our world wants, right? Like emotional and mental health are huge topics of conversation in the world today. Big buzzwords that everyone's talking about. Everyone wants it. It seems that this prayer request is something our world could get behind. And yet when you look more closely, Paul's prayer is actually quite shocking and offensive to our world. Why is that? Because our world says we have the resources within ourselves to deal with life. The key is find that strength inside yourself. Find that thing that's already there and use that to... To empower you and push you through. And Paul says, that's not true. Paul says, if we're going to have true mental and emotional health, we actually need someone from outside us to come into us and empower us because within ourselves, we lack the resources to deal with life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you and I lack the resources to deal with life. If we're going to deal with life, well, If we're gonna have emotional and mental health, we need help from outside ourselves. I mean, we hate to admit this because it makes us feel so small and and weak and powerless. The reality is sometimes life is just bigger than us. You know, if you lose your job and you're like, I don't have money saved up. I don't know how I'm gonna feed the family. I don't know how we're gonna pay rent. I don't know where we're gonna live. That genuinely is a situation that's bigger than you. If you go to the doctor and and they say, you've got cancer, it's really bad. You have three months to live. That's a situation that brings you face to face with your mortality very quickly. And no amount of of yoga or meditation or self-talk is gonna fix that problem and make it go away. And apart from Christ, if we're trying to deal with these big situations in life on our own resources, what are our options? I mean, I think we we have two, two options when we face situations bigger than ourselves and we don't have Christ in the equation. Option one, live in denial. Just fill your life up with distractions, whether that's work or school or hobbies or alcohol or drugs or pornography and sex, whatever it is, fill your life up with distractions so that your attention is full and you don't have to think about it. Distract yourself, distract yourself so you don't have to face the facts. Or on the other side of the equation, you can stare reality in the face and let it overwhelm you because you're completely out of control and that's a fact. And at the end of the day, those are your only two real options if you're relying on your own resources to get through a crisis in life. Live in denial or be completely overwhelmed by facing the reality of the facts. Right? I think there are probably some, some therapists out there who would say like, you should just focus on self-talk. Tell yourself how strong and important you are. Um, if you've ever read Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, he would say you need to create a meaning for yourself to live for. But what are the grounds for believing that you're so great and important? What are the grounds for, for saying this meaning is really valid to live for if you're relying on, your, on yourself? If the world's story is right, and we've just all, here by accident, evolved from some single cell organism, there's nothing bigger in the universe, no one out there who cares for us, what bigger meaning can you exist for? What bigger meaning is there? Like it's only a cosmic accident that you exist. It's only a matter of chance that you ended up being a human instead of a cockroach. And at the end of the day, there's not much difference between you and a cockroach. Right, you're alive now, and then one day you'll be dead. And then one day the universe will just burn out and then nothing will exist anymore. If we believe we're just the product of random chance, then telling ourselves how great we are, creating some meaning to live for, it's really just another way of living in denial. It's refusing to face the reality of the fact that we're all gonna die, the universe is gonna burn out, things are just bleak apart from God when we face a major crisis in life that's bigger than us, our only real options are live in denial or stare it in the face and let it overwhelm us. We don't have the resources and the power within ourselves to deal with life on our own. And so Paul is praying here that the Christians he's writing to would be strengthened by something from outside them coming into them and giving them that power that they lack because we don't have these resources in ourselves, that doesn't mean they don't exist. See, if God's real, if the things we've seen about God's plan for the universe are true, that he's uniting all things in Christ, that, that one day he's gonna take all the brokenness and death and sadness and replace it with life and wholeness, we don't need to live in denial. We can look at the trials in life when we face them, we can look at them directly head on. We can say, this is a crisis. This is a trial. This is bigger than me. I don't have the resources on my own to handle it, but we don't need to be overwhelmed by them because we know that they're temporary. They don't get the last word in life. The story of our lives, the story of the universe is a story with a happy ending. This is just one of those tough times along the path that makes that happy ending so much more exciting when you finally get there and see how it gets there. Even if this cancer does kill you, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is God raising you back to life for eternity with him. And that's not just wishful thinking. God has already raised Jesus from the dead. He's proven that he has the power to do it. He's proven that he's faithful to do it. He's given a down payment to to promise us, if we trust in Jesus, then just like he raised Jesus from the dead, he's gonna raise us one day too. And so no matter what we face in life, we can rest in God's character, knowing that he's gonna be faithful to do what he's promised. You know, no one stresses about, what's my family gonna do financially when they lose their job? if they just won the lottery. If we trust in Jesus, we have more wealth and it is more secure than any lottery winner. Knowing and believing God's truth empowers us to go through life with true inner strength, with true mental and emotional health. So we can face whatever life throws at us with peace, patience, love, joy, self-control, because God is the one on the throne. And, And to clarify, it doesn't mean you just pray and become a Christian and then all of a sudden, all of your mental and emotional problems go away overnight. It's kind of like marriage. You know, when Justine and I got married, I thought I knew her pretty well. I mean, I had known her for 10 whole months. And as the years have gone by and I've gotten to know her more, I've realized I, I barely knew her at all when we got married. barely scratched the surface of who she is. And the more deeply I get to know her, the more our love for one another grows and I'm changed by that. I've learned to communicate differently because I'm married to her. I've learned to get in better touch with my emotions because I'm married to her. I've learned better ways of handling conflict by being married to her. I've been changed by having a relationship with her and knowing her and doing life with her. And if that can happen through human relationships, I mean, it's a slow process, but it happens. If that can happen through human relationships, how much more can we be changed for good by having a relationship with God? The more deeply we know God, the more deeply we work these truths about him into our hearts so they're really working at that control center of who we are each day, the more we're gonna walk in this inner strength and freedom that God has for us. And and just to clarify When I made that comment about things, therapists tell you earlier, I'm not against going and seeing counselors. I've benefited a lot from good Christian counselors in my life. A good Christian counselor is worth their weight in gold. Um, But it's because they're actually helping you take these truths from God and work them into your heart. If you're trying to, to get that help from someone who has no basis for hope, how is that gonna help you? And this process of growth, again, it's slow. It takes a lifetime, which means if it's going slow, don't get discouraged. That's that's normal. That's part of the process. Don't give up if it's taking longer than you want because that's part of God's way of, of helping us grow in patience. And again, as Paul is praying, God's spirit takes this truth about God. He makes it real in our lives, helps us be more aware of it so that we can live out this new reality God has for us with this inner strength. And so Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would be at work in the control center of our lives, controlling that control center so we can be mentally and emotionally healthy with with that inner strength. And that's the first thing we see that happens if the Holy Spirit equips and empowers us. The second thing that happens is that we will be rooted and grounded in love. Love is central to the Christian life. You you look at the two most important commands, Jesus says, God gave us in the law. They both are about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're told in 1 John that God is love. So if we're going to be a new community of people, that's what Paul's been talking about the past couple weeks in our passages we've looked at. A new community of people who's filled by Jesus, being shaped into his image, love is has to be at the center of who we are: love for God and love for one another. And Paul wants us to see how important love is. And he goes so far as to mix metaphors to to really emphasize the importance of it. When you talk about being rooted, that's an agricultural term. Plants have roots that hold them in the ground and keep them stable. When you talk about being grounded, that's his other word that he uses here. That's an architectural term, a construction term. It refers to the foundation of a building being in the ground. And so love is to the church, what roots are to a plant and what a foundation is in the building. It holds us in place so we don't get moved away. It gives us strength and stability so when we're hit by the storms of life, it doesn't knock us over. And this love, it's not something we manufacture in ourselves through our effort and strength. It's something that grows in us organically like a plant when Jesus lives inside us. As God, who is love, lives inside us, he makes us more like himself. When the Holy Spirit is working to empower us, this love is not, actually, it's, it's not only going to be growing inside us as a community. It's going to be the most foundational, essential aspect of who we are. We're going to be a community marked by love. So that's the second thing that happens when the spirit empowers us. Third, when we're empowered by the spirit, we're going to know unknowable love. Here's what Paul says exactly. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Check out how incredible this is. Paul says there, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, but it can still be known through the spirit's work. How does that work? I think we all know from experience there's, there's different kinds of knowledge. When I was young, thankfully it doesn't happen as much anymore, but still occasionally, but more when I was young, I would get teased a lot because I was smart, but I wasn't smart. Here's what I mean. I would get straight A's in school. I was smart. But then I would do things that showed I just didn't really understand how the world works. And people would be like, how could someone as smart as you be so dumb. They would say I was book smart, but I was not street smart. There's different kinds of knowledge. Paul is saying on our own, through our power, you and I lack the ability to truly know God's love. I mean, we can study it. We can read about it. We can observe it and learn about it, but we won't know God's love unless he reveals it to us by his spirit. And so Paul's praying for us to do that. You can think of it kind of like falling in love romantically, another place where you can know it without knowing. it. Like, if you've never been in love, you could listen to a scientist explaining what love is, how it works, all the chemical reactions that happen in your brain when you're falling in love. And if you've never been in love before and you listen to that lecture, you know a little bit about love, but do you know what it is to be in love? no, of course not. You can explain it in a book, but you don't know how it feels. But all it takes is five minutes of, of falling in love and feeling that experience. And you know more deeply what it is to be in love than someone who's sat through the lecture for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and never actually experienced love for themselves. It's the same way With Christ's love. There's no way I could ever explain everything there is to know about Christ's love through sermons. But hypothetically, imagine I did it. Imagine that I figured out everything there is to know about God's love and I preached the most incredible sermon series ever. And you were like, this is the greatest sermon series I've heard in my life. So you download the podcasts and you listen to them over and over and over until you have the whole thing memorized. If you did that, would you know the love of Christ? I mean, kind of, but not really, right? It surpasses knowledge. You know a lot about it, but you don't know it by studying and collecting knowledge. You know it by experiencing it. One moment of feeling and experiencing God's love will give you a knowledge of his love that a lifetime of listening to sermons about his love can never give you. And even then, once you've experienced his love, it still surpasses knowledge because there's infinitely deeper levels of his love that we're never going to be able to fully experience and comprehend in this lifetime. But we can know his love truly right here, right now, even if we can't know it fully. But in order for us to know it truly, we need God's spirit. We need him to come and reveal God's love to us. And that's why Paul prays for the spirit to come and empower us so we can know God's love. And again, as we know God's love, we're transformed into the people that we're supposed to be. In these coming weeks, as we look at who is God calling us to be in response to him, everything we're gonna look at flows out of us knowing his love. Christian living is empowered by experiencing God's love. Truly knowing God's love, it empowers us to be bold, courageous, confident, emotionally stable and healthy people. And did you notice how we come to know this love? In verse 18, it says we come to know his love with all the saints. If you're trying to live the Christian life on your own, even if you're showing to church each Sunday, if you're going throughout the week, just flying solo, trying to do this on your own, you can know some of God's love for you. But God has designed the world in such a way that we experience and know more of his love as we experience and know more of his people's love it's like we've been saying throughout this series church is not optional if you want to live the christian life it's right at the core and by church i don't mean showing up for an event for a couple hours every sunday morning i mean a life that's deeply connected with and invested in christian community that's why things like our church fund day at inspiration lake this week were so important it was great to see so many of you there and to connect with everyone but those things are so important. Getting lunch with one another after church is so important because they give us a chance to just get to know one another and show love to one another. And it's as we're doing that, that we get to know God's love more deeply. So that's the third thing that happens when the Spirit empowers us to be the church God wants us to be. We know God's love. And then fourth, we get filled with God's fullness. Paul prays, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God you know, our lives are filled up with so many things. Like if you ask the average person on the street in Hong Kong, how are you doing? I think the most common answer would probably be good because, you know, we're all polite and we expect that's what everyone wants to hear. But if someone doesn't say good, what's the next most likely thing they're going to say? How are you doing? Busy. So busy. I have so much stuff going on. Our lives, we're busy because we're full. We're full of school and work and, and romance and parenting and entertainment and paying bills and exercise and travel and hobbies and a million other things. And Paul's prayer for the church is that they and their lives would be filled with the fullness of God. I mean, they don't need a prayer that they would be filled with God unless their lives are filled with other things instead, right? Right? they're Christians, but their lives are so often consumed with and filled by things of the world instead, just like us. And actually that's good news for us that they have the same problem as us because it means we're, we're kind of like them. Our lives are filled up with things other than God too. And the things that fill us are the things that shape us. The things that fill our lives, the things that fill our time and energy and attention, they define for us what's normal in life. What priorities should I be pursuing? What's worth sacrificing for? What's right and wrong? If the things filling our lives and shaping us are anything other than God, they're gonna shape us in very destructive ways. They're gonna give us wrong priorities that harm us and the people around us. And we need help, but so does this church. And Paul knows the solution for them, which is also gonna be the solution for us. Isn't that great news? And to clarify, I'm not saying the things filling our lives right now are bad. I'm not saying they should be avoided. Actually, like work and school, I know if you're in high school, it doesn't feel this way. Work and school are good gifts from God. God created work before sin came into the world and messed everything up. School, like the opportunity to be prepared for work and to be given an education so you know how the world works, that's a blessing that hundreds of millions of people around the world wish they could have right? Something like exercise. That's being a good steward of the body that God has given you. If you look at marriage and parenting and family stuff, the the Bible says those are blessings from God that we should be prioritizing. The problem isn't these things in and of themselves and that they're part of our lives. The problem is that we compartmentalize our lives. We're like, okay, I have my family over here. I have school or work over here. I have my hobbies over here. I have my family finances over here, and then God is over here somewhere. It's all separate. It's disconnected. When I'm at work, I'm going to be my work self. When I'm with family or friends, I'm going to be my family and friends self. When I'm at church or reading my Bible, I'll be my Christian self. We have different identities that come out depending on who we're with or what we're doing. For some people that distinction actually goes so deep that in different places they go by different names. Like I I once had a friend who worked with another friend of mine and I asked my friend like, oh, what's it like working with JV? And she's like, JV, who's JV? Oh, you mean John? Like, oh, he goes by John at work and JV when he's with all of his friends. Like we, we just sometimes have this distinction where we even go by different names among different groups of people and we view each area of life that's not church, if we view those areas as distinct from God so that family or work or hobbies operates in these spheres that are separated from God, then all these good gifts that God has given us actually become bad things that pull us away from him. In and of themselves, they're, they're good gifts from God, but when we use them wrong, they become bad things that pull us away from him. And so what does that mean? It means we need to learn to live integrated lives, that, that we would live in a way that it's not that family is over here, work is over here, fun stuff is over here, God is over here, but like God is the room or the sphere that all these other things are happening in. Maybe you can think of God, uh, this is an analogy that will fall apart very quickly, but just follow with me for what it's good for. You can think of God kind of like the operating system and all the different parts in our lives, like the apps that run within that operating system. I'm a Mac guy. I know we have a few others those here. Within the Mac ecosystem, I run lots of apps on my computer. But because I'm running every app on a Mac, there's something that ties them all together. I'm able to learn how the Mac OS and the Apple ecosystem works through using each different app, even if the apps themselves seem completely disconnected from one another. They all run on the same operating system and that gives them a unity that ties them together and that, that helps integrate them. God is meant to be kind of like that operating system that ties our lives together. That no activity we do, no segment of our time is separated from him. They're all operating within that system. He's always present. And again, this is a change in perspective that we can't manufacture through our effort. Which is why Paul prays for that perspective change to happen for us. For the spirit to come in and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He prays for the spirit to fill us because if we're filled by the spirit, then here's what's going to happen. Everything in life that we go to, we're going to see and experience God there because he's coming into that thing with us because we're already filled with him. So I'm going to go into my family filled with God and guess what? I'm going to see God in the family because he's right there with me. I'm going to go to my work and I'm going to see God there because he's coming into that situation with me. He's the thing that's tying everything in life together and it's going to transform us when we live life that way it's going to make us into the people who live the way Paul's going to tell us to live in the coming weeks. So Paul prays for God's spirit to empower us so that we can be strengthened in our inner beings, have that mental and emotional health. He prays that God's spirit would empower us so we can be rooted and grounded in love, that love would be that foundational thing shaping us as a church. He prays for the spirit to empower us so we can know God's love and that the spirit would fill us with God's fullness. But why? What's the goal of all this? Well, the goal is that God would be glorified, that God's goodness and kindness and the essence of his character would shine forth for the entire world, the entire universe to see. And how are we doing? As you, as you think about these things that Paul is praying for us, are you feeling like, yeah, I, I can see God working in my life. I'm, I'm growing in these areas. That's encouraging and positive because i can see god at work or are you just kind of like got a long ways to go fallen short i think i lack some of that inner strength and love that i'm supposed to have i realize my life is filled up with so much other stuff besides god is anyone feeling discouraged by how weak and incapable you are by just how much you need god to do all these things for you making you feel discouraged is not paul's goal here his goal isn't to tear you down by showing you need your need it's to build you up by showing you God's all sufficiency to meet it I mean look what Paul tells us about God in verse 20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think to, according to the power at work within us God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think if you're a Christian These areas of weakness in your life, they're not areas for you to try and and pull yourself together and fix yourself. They're not areas where Paul and God just want you to wallow in despair because of how much of a mess you are. They're not areas where God wants you to feel hopeless because change can never happen. No, they're areas for you to throw yourself on Jesus and trust Him to meet your needs. And Paul says he lives inside us, accessing Him, is as simple as it could possibly be because he's always right there and he is powerful. He is so powerful. Beyond more more than powerful to meet every single need we have. And when we rely on God this way, when we trust him to meet our needs, what happens? He is glorified. Not because we're so strong and amazing, but because in our weakness, he still meets us. He still works through us. His goodness and kindness and power shine forth through us for the whole world to see. God takes us who are weak, who are incapable of doing life on our own. And what does he do? He fills us with a strength that we can't get through ourselves. He he fills us with a love that we can't work up through our own effort. He gives us knowledge that we can't learn through our own studies. He fills us with himself, which we could never do on our own. And when he does this, it makes him look infinitely wise and good and generous and kind. It shows off his character traits. So everything and everyone in the universe can know that he is wise and kind. So if you feel overwhelmed by the things Paul's praying for you in this prayer and, and the ways that you fall short, don't be discouraged. Don't be overwhelmed. Throw yourself on Jesus. Trust him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Trust him to be for you what you can't be for yourself. He's abundantly generous. He's overwhelmingly powerful. And he wants to use that generosity and power to bless you by making you more like him, which is the greatest blessing he has available for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us that you want us to grow, that you want us to become the people that you plan for us to be, that you choose to show off your goodness and your kindness by blessing us. I pray that you would send your spirit into our lives to equip us so we can be the church that you want us to be, so we can be the husbands and wives, the mothers and fathers, the employees, the children, the, um, you know, just whatever our roles are in life, that we would be able to do each of those roles in a way that shows off your goodness and kindness and glory. Yeah, I teach us to know you more this week. Be be at work inside us. In Jesus' name. Amen.